Our scripture reading comes from Exodus chapter 4, verses 27, and it will end on chapter 6, verse 1. Here is the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, to them, Moses and Aaron, Why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens? The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and the foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. As in the past, let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves and wherever you can and wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, 
now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Thus ending the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you to hear your words. It is your words that give us life. It is your word that transform our minds and our hearts. And we pray for that very exact thing. Lord, change us, Lord. We do not want to remain the same. We want to be known by you. And we want your words to change us so that more and more we become like Christ. This is only possible through the Holy Spirit. And we pray that the Spirit is here now. As these words go forth, Lord Father, may these words be powerful and impactful. For we know you are our King and our God, and you are our Savior. So we continue worshiping you by hearing, Lord, your word preached to us. We thank you, O God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you ever hear the words, trust the process, what it means is that you have found yourself in a bad situation. And what it also means is that the situation is going to probably get worse before it gets better. Rarely is trust the process a slogan for good times. But it is a phrase that Christians use a lot. Now, maybe not necessarily trust the process, but we'll say trust God. Trust God in his ways. And surprisingly enough, that is a big part of my job as a pastor, to tell people to trust God, to trust in the process, to trust in his ways. But the question does arise, what are the ways of God? And you've also heard it said that God's ways are not the ways of man. And that brings up another question, what are the ways of men? So oftentimes we'll say, trust God and his process, and then we say, yes, that sounds good, but we get frustrated then with God because God is not, we don't want to trust his process, but if we think about it, we don't even know what process God operates in. I believe the text before us today is to set our expectations as Christians. It prepares us to face the real world, and it, tr- and it prepares us to really trust in God. But we have to understand how God operates, how the world operates, and why we still need to continue trusting in God. That is the whole point of the sermon. The whole point of the sermon is to compel you to continue to trust in God and all that he does. We'll briefly go over the ways in which the world works, and then we'll go over in the way which God works. And hopefully as you see the two go at it, you would put your trust in God and not in the world. So as we look into the chapter, we start with chapter 4, verse um, 27, but I want us to focus on verse 31. Things are about to turn the corner. Moses has finally been convinced that God will be on his side and that he is to do this thing against Pharaoh that he is going to free the Israelites, but that he is not going to simply do it alone. He is going to do it with his brother Aaron, who will come alongside him. They are going to go to the elders of Israel, and then together they will become free. And what happens when Aaron and Moses show up in front of the elders of Israel? What happens? 
Aaron and Moses, they performed the signs, and then they believed. They believed that God had finally heard their prayers, that God had heard their afflictions, and what did they begin to do once they believed? They worshipped God. Things are going well. What we see at the end of chapter 4 is a mini-revival. People are beginning to experience God. They are saying, hallelujah, God is here. And we see that confidence as Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh. Now, I want to quickly remind you, who is Pharaoh in this story? Yes, Pharaoh is the king of Egypt. But remember, Pharaoh does not merely represent a figure of Egypt, in historical Egypt. He also represents the power of the world because at this time, Egypt is the most powerful nation in the world. And so what we are seeing in this narrative of Exodus is God against the world and how these two powers interact with one another and how they operate. And so Moses and Aaron go up to Pharaoh and they feel confident. And you can tell by the verses because they don't say, King Pharaoh, here are our gifts. We humbly ask. No, they come into the room and say, thus says the Lord, let my people go so that we may have a feast. And that's bold. Leave, we are going to leave your power so that we may have a party out in the wilderness. That's exactly what, there's nothing else added to it. There's no return date. Are you coming back? No. He's bold. He's confident. Their momentum is going his ways, are going their way. And then what does Pharaoh do? He says, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Again, you guys probably know this, but he's not asking a genuine question. He's mocking him. It's not like Pharaoh is saying, oh, who is this Lord? I've never heard of him. Please tell me more. He's saying, who is this person? And it doesn't even matter who this person is, who this Lord is, because I've already decided I'm not going to let Israel go. And here's something that what we should expect as Christians. As we pursue the call and will of God, we will run into obstacles. The world will give us no favors. Yet Christians are always shocked by this. How come things are not going my way? I believe in Jesus. Doesn't God hear me? No, what we are up against is the world, world power, and the world power does not want the will of God to succeed. You will run into opposition. And how will you act in face of that opposition? Or how have you acted in face of that opposition? I think most of us have acted like Moses and Aaron. For Moses and Aaron suddenly changed their tone, right? Verse 3, then they said, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And I'm going to read it, Jeffrey edition. Then they said, Whoa. Sorry, sorry. Let's try this again. God actually met with us. Maybe you didn't know. God met with us. Can you please let us go? 
whole different to tone into the wilderness. And look, Pharaoh, if we don't go, God is going to smite us. He's going to bring pestilence upon us. And remember, God never said any of these things. What a quick change of Moses to Aaron. He says, thus says the Lord. And then all of a sudden it's like, please. And most times that's how we act. We go, God, this is your calling. This is your will. This is what we are going to pursue. And then the world says, that's not going to happen. And we go, what? Please. And we cower. And we cower because we often are surprised that the world is not working in our favor. But as Christians, we should understand this. The world does not work in our favor. The world does not give us any favors as we pursue the will of God. And Jesus has taught this himself. For when Jesus was teaching to his disciples, he claimed in chapter 12, verse 49, this is what he said. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. As we live out our Christian life here on earth, and as we pursue the will of God, we will face opposition. It will not be an easy ride. And we need to get rid of that thinking altogether. We need to begin to realize that the world's will and God's will do not combine. That they do not mesh, that they are like oil and water. They will always be opposing one another. And so before I go on to how the world works, I will, before I go on to how God works, I will show you how the world responds to the will of God. One thing I think the church fails to do, and I mean not this church, but the church um, general fails to do is to comprehend how the world and sin works in our life, right? How often do we think about sin and how the devil works? Grateful for C.S. Lewis, he wrote a book, Screw Tape Letters. But beyond that, we don't really discuss it, right? And it's not your fault. At our seminary, we are taught the doctrine of God, taught the doctrine of man. We are talked about how sin came into this world. But there's no doctrine of sin. There's no doctrine of Satan, I remember one time um, as I was ending uh, the end of the four-year program, I asked our professor, are we ever going to talk about Satan? And he looked at me weird. He's like, what? I said, I don't know. He seems like a significant person in the Bible. But we do. We should, for whatever reason, we miss it. But I think God gives us an idea of how the world works and what we are to expect from the world, from evil, and from Satan himself. As God comes and, and as God declares his intentions to the world, the world begins to act and we see the world act. So as the world declares God's will, so Pharaoh will begin to declare his will. Moses and Aaron comes in, thus says the Lord. But what does it say in verse 10? So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh. The battle begins. Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Now, what's the whole purpose behind this not giving, giving straw? straw? Well, did some research um, because I didn't know what was the significance. But I guess the straw gives the structure to the brick and it allows the brick to dry quicker with the straw in place. 
If you have no straw, the bricks crumble. So that, that is why it's significant when Pharaoh says, your number of bricks will remain the same. That statement is significant because he knows the bricks are going to crumble. On top of that, now the workforce is cut probably in half. Not as many people making the bricks. They have to go find the straw, but you need all hands on deck to make the bricks. And thus what we have is just difficult, difficult work. So Pharaoh says, I will not give you straw. What happens right after that? The story actually begins to move, surprisingly enough. Right when Pharaoh declares something, we see the verses from 6 to 21, a sequence of events where Pharaoh's word actually gets executed much faster than God's word. Verse 12, so the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? It's quick. Things are done. Here are the foremen and the taskmasters. Now, who are the foremen and the taskmasters? Um, quick, simply put, taskmasters are Egyptians. Foremen are the Israelites. They are the representatives. They have work negotiations. And that is how Pharaoh's demands and commands are executed. They're given to the taskmasters, then are given to the foremen, which are then given to the Israelites, and then they function. And you see this happens very fast and quick. And I think that's the first point that we need to take. Sin and evil moves fast. It does. It actually moves faster than the word of God. Simple and true. For whatever reason, good stuff does not travel quickly. But bad news is like rapid wildfire. It's just how it is. The systems of men propagate evil quickly. We should not be surprised by this. But there's something else that evil does. And this is why I think those um, verses of taskmasters, foremans, Pharaoh, and the Israelites are significant. This passage is kind of long-winded. Would you agree? Why do we need to know what the taskmasters are saying to the foremen and the foremen are saying to the taskmasters and then talking to Pharaoh? We got the point and we could have had this one point given to us in one verse. Pharaoh took away the straws. They had to make more bricks. But yet we see the sequence of foremen and uh, taskmasters all talking to each other. And I think this is what God brings to light. Evil and sin is also systemic. That's the whole point of it. That there are levels that oftentimes that um, we are guilty of this, that we think sin is just one person to one person. That evil is not a system. The systems are neutral. But in reality, God shows us that systems are evil. Man-made systems suppress good. And if you think about it, the Bible's not crazy for thinking about that. Democracy. It's a great form of government, okay? I think it's great, guys. Love America. But what is the basis of democracy? To slow down evil. 
That's the whole premise of democracy. It is not there to promote good. It's not there necessarily to promote stability. All it is, all it's there for is that the people are represented, that powers are put in check, and that there's balance, and so that evil cannot spread fast enough. Evil is systemic. And so as we come and encounter the world and as we pursue the will of God, what you will also begin to notice is that evil is all around you and at every corner. Now this seems kind of disconcerting. It's fast and it's all around you. And so oftentimes you may be saying as a Christian, why do I say trust the process, trust God all the time? Well, it's because sin is coming at you fast and it's all around you. There are systems built for it, and things of the world get carried out faster than God's word. And here's the thing we also have to realize as Christians. We cannot buy into the system. Let me say that again. We cannot buy into the system. The whole thing with Pharaoh, the whole thing with the taskmen and the foreman, it's an interesting scene the scene right in the beginning was people praising God. They said, God has finally come up. Within 48 hours, they are at each other's throats and saying, God has abandoned us. 48 hours. That's how quick it travels. And here, if we as Christians buy into the system, and what does it mean to buy into the system? It means that true change, true power is found in the world. When you buy into that system, that belief we will be divided. And I think this text is applicable to us today because as we survey the evangelical church and as we look abroad and are on Facebook, we are at each other's throats on all these issues. And why? Is someone wrong? Is someone right? Maybe, but I'm not going to tell you. We are at each other's throats because we have finally believed or bought into the lie that the system has the power to change everything. By telling, I'm telling you, democracy does not have the power to bring good. It stops evil and tries to slow it down, but we are expecting way too much from our government. Government's not bad, it's just function is not we are placing on it something that it was never intended it to do. People are beginning to look at senators and presidents as saviors of the world. That truly, that they are going to be able to do everything. That there is so much fodder of, we need to call our senators, we need to do our things. You should do those things, be good citizens. But do not place your trust in the system. Because once you do, you will find yourselves at odds with one another. It's amazing when people talk about politics, people are like, when are we going to be united? When are we going to come together? But then I think democracy is meant so that you are never united. The whole basis of democracy is that we will always have different parties and that we will always argue. That is the whole point of the system of government. You will not find unity in the government because that is not its function. It's for debate to be had. 
The Constitution is for arguments to be had. It sets the ground rules for the arguments we are allowed to engage in. That's the whole function. But yet everyone begins to look to these powers and believe that these people have true power and that they are going to bring salvation. That is exactly what happened with the foremen and the taskmasters here. The foremen believed it is only Pharaoh's word that is true. It is only Pharaoh's word that we have to be concerned about. Who cares about what God said 48 hours ago? Right? Who cares about what God said 48 hours ago? We can't buy into the system because the system propagates evil. But here's another question. What evil are we talking about? Surely this is evil, correct? Because Moses assesses it as evil. It says, verse 22, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? What is the evil that is being propagated through these man-made systems? It's unrest. The whole desire of the Israelites was to go into rest and peace. But Pharaoh said, no. I will make you work hard so that you will never achieve rest and peace. The one thing you have to understand about sin, when Adam and Eve fell, our first parents, when they fell, sin corrupted the world. And if you read it enough, interestingly enough, the two areas where sin seems to dig its claws in is sex and work. And even to this day, that, those are the two areas where we see the most gross injustices done. And when we see those injustices occur, what, we, what people are robbed of are rest and peace. This is why it's evil. As human beings, we are to find rest and peace. The 24-hour news cycle will not give us rest and peace because it's not supposed to. It's supposed to make us continually work, work, work because things will not get better. Then what are we supposed to do in, in light of this evil? What are we supposed to do when we don't have this rest and peace? Well, I think we follow after Moses. We turn to God. And God will answer our prayers. And this is when we come to understand the process of God. Verse 1, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. The one thing we learn about God time and time again is that he is powerful. That God is strong. That God is able to deliver. And I was, as I was reflecting on this passage, this might be heretical. I haven't thought about it that much that yet. But I'm going to give it to you anyways. God is not fast. Have you ever thought about that? When we study the attributes of God, it never says God is quick or fast. Oh, and that infuriates me. Doesn't it infuriate you? I want God to answer my prayers now. I want God to rid all of the evil now, but for whatever reason, as we scour the scriptures, God never says he is fast and he is quick to respond. But God always says, I am powerful. Straws? 
We're talking about straws? Is that all Pharaoh can do to my people? You will not even wait. You have not even begun to understand my power. The process of God is never quick or is never fast. But it's always powerful and it's always true. This is the God we serve. And that is why God continually calls out to his people and he asks for patience, for perseverance. He never says, the fruit of the Spirit is never efficient. Right? But we prize that, don't we? And I'm there with you. I wish, as I thought about that, God, I wish you were fast. Speed is what's awesome, but the speed is the way of the world. They move fast, but they're, they're able to give blows, but these blows that are evil don't make a dent. It is only God when he moves and when he acts that people are truly free. Here's one question. Why did it take Jesus thousands of years to appear? I have no idea. I don't have the answer to that question, but I do know that when Jesus Christ did appear... Oh, he conquered death. Those who were damned to hell and damned to death forever are no longer damned to that one place, are now have eternal life and are sons and daughters of God. And we are redeemed. And we are his children forever. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? It's been 2,000 years. I don't know. God is not quick. He's not fast. But what we do know is this, that when Jesus does return, he is not going to come and simply fix our political system or fix our job situation. When he comes, he will create a new heavens and a new earth. Sin will be eradicated. Death will be no more. And we will be in glory, worshiping him for all of eternity. This is the God we serve. And this is why I tell you each and every day to continue to trust the process because God is powerful and he is able to deliver. He is. Now you might say, Pastor Jeffrey, you've talked about the past, the present. What does that give us for today? And Jesus, God gives us something for today. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says this. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. I know all of you, if you are like me, are weary and tired. We are tired when we go out into the world and we try to execute things of the world and things of God. We are tired when we try to pursue and we try to do the right thing. We get beaten down. But Jesus says, come to me now and you will have forever rest. Rest and peace are good. The anxiety you feel is evil and Jesus will give you that rest. He promises it. And every time we come and meet together, that is the goal, that you would enter here maybe anxious or maybe in turmoil or maybe stressed out from work or from 
uh, uh, sexual abuse or whatever it may be, and you cannot find that rest and peace outside in the world, and we are saying that's evil. Come to Jesus now and you will find rest and peace. This is what Christ has promised for us. This is the God we serve. Oftentimes it's frustrating. Yeah, I feel you there. When I see evil in the world, I hope, God, just strike them down now. But for whatever reason, he doesn't operate that way. But there is comfort in knowing that he has heard my prayers and that when he does act, justice will be enforced. His people will be redeemed in glory and his name will shine forever. Continue, brothers and sisters, to trust in this mysterious process. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, just honest about us. Lord, often we don't have the patience and perseverance. Lord, when it just seems like there's so much pain and intolerance and injustice going on, Lord, we get tired. But Lord, help us to be like Moses. Help us to turn to you with true conviction, asking you why you allow evil to do and come upon this earth. But Lord, would you also give us the heart and the knowledge to know that you are hearing our prayers and that you will answer and that when you do answer, Lord, justice will fall upon this earth and that we will be redeemed and that we will be saved. Lord, help us to trust in this process. Help us to trust in your ways so that you would be glorified, that you would become great, become great, and that we would become less. Oh God, come. Come now. Hear our prayers. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.